So that's it. That's the big reveal. And, you know, um, I hope that that video kind of gave you some perspective and got the excitement going and their juices flowing. And if it's your first Sunday, we've been at church for 10 plus years. And, um, and as we would say that uh, really the time is now that God's initiated for us to move forward on this endeavor. Well, before we jump into the message today, I want to point your attention to just a couple of things. Um, one, over the next five weeks, we're going to be going through a series called Own It, and we're going to be unpacking kind of biblically where are we getting this from, where is God taking us as a people, and I want you to hear me say this on the front end. Our desire for this is to be a discipleship initiative, meaning that we are trying to disciple the vision and values of the kingdom of what Jesus taught and who he says he is and where we're going into us collectively as a people because we're not just looking for a few to move forward with, we're looking for the whole. And so our desire really is to have every single person involved um, uh, on some of these key objectives. And if you will, underneath your seat, you've got a guidebook if you wanna pull it out, if you haven't already, go and grab that, that's yours to take home. And I want you to turn to page 17 just for a moment. Turn to page 17. And this guidebook is really gonna allow us collectively to go on a journey together. There's a lot of great stuff in there. You can look at it later. But go to 17 because I just wanna read something to you to kind of give you more of the heart behind what we're doing and why we're doing it. It says, what does it mean to be an owner? As we celebrate our 10-year anniversary as a church, we clearly sense God inviting us to expand our ability to, both, to impact both our city and the nations. Own it is a call to a corporate growth through individual ownership. The body of Christ can only grow to full maturity when each part is healthy and working properly. That statement sums up our heart. We really need to be the body of Christ. You know, last week I actually preached on Acts chapter two, and if you didn't listen or weren't here, I would encourage you to go back because that really is foundational for the New Testament church, right? And I preached that because I want us to remember that our model for church is not an Antioch model, it's not a non-denominational model, it's not an American model. Our desire is to have a biblical model reflected in Acts chapter two, which is the early church that started 2,000 years ago. And at the same time, the head of the church is Jesus. So if we will move forward together saying, hey, the head of this church is Jesus, and our model is the word of God in the New Testament church, then I think God will continue to bless and pour out his, his abundant grace and mercy on us and allow us to continue to thrive and to grow. And so when we talk about becoming an owner, the next five weeks, we wanna give you every opportunity to step into that ownership reality, right? And to step into that together as a people. So that's yours to keep. We would encourage you to bring that every Sunday morning. It's actually a place to take notes. Uh, in here, I think page 36 or 37, you can do that. Every Sunday, you can take notes in there. You can bring it to Life Group. At Life Group, we're going over passages of scripture that kind of reinforce these, these, these clear objectives and values for us as a church. And then also, we've got a five-day devotional for four weeks. We've got 20 devotionals for you to go through together as a church. And what we're asking is that you would take five mornings each week to go through those passages. And you simply read a passage, and then it's just you answering a few questions but this is meant to get us all on the same page as a people because every one of these core objectives we have, which today we're talking about own your pursuit of Jesus, each of them are biblically based and there are hundreds of scriptures to support them, but we want you to get it into you, right? Like I don't want just to be sharing with you, here's our heart and vision and everyone should just kinda get on the train. <laughs> you know, like 
I want all of us to have a deep conviction for the word of God being the thing that's centering us, guiding us, directing us, and convicting us. Does that make sense? All right, so that's where we're going today. But before we do that, too, if you heard earlier, we have something called the next room. And if you go out these doors at the end of the service, we'd love to connect with you in there. It's not just for people that are brand new. We would love to connect with you. If you're new to this church, we'd love just to shake your hand, get to know you a little bit. If you have questions about the church, it's also for people saying, hey, I would like to get involved in a life group. Or you know what? I would like to look for a place to serve. Or I have questions about the church. That's the place to go, the one-stop shop. And we have resources for you, all right? And so there's books. There's other things we have that you can uh, purchase, things we can guide you with in your own walk with God. But two of those I want to mention today is this. It's called The Hour That Changes the World. It's a timeless book on prayer. And I know many of us will say, hey, prayer, that's cool, but I don't really do that that much. Um, if you read through this book a couple of chapters in, your tune will probably change. Just because it's a resource that gives you conviction and biblical understanding really behind God's intent and his desire behind prayer. So you can pick one of these up. Who wants this? Anyone want this? There you go. Right there. And then this other one is this. Today we're going to be talking about owning your pursuit of Jesus. Part of that conversation is going to be talking about the Bible, right? But and we'll get into this later, but I understand that sometimes we're saying, you know, I want to read the Bible, but I feel a little overwhelmed or a little confused as to where to start, right? There's a great resource. We actually have our ADS students read this. It's called 30 Days to Understanding the Bible. It's actually very simple, very straightforward. I remember when I first read it, it was like mind-blowing. I'm thinking, I'm going to read the Bible 20 years, and I did not know this at all. So it gives great context. Who wants this? Who wants it? Come on. Over here. One of y'all can just figure that out. There you go. All right. So there you go. You can pick those up in the bookstore if you want to get one. But they're super helpful. And again, the Word of God is our source. Um, but at the same time, it's helpful to have resources along the way that are helping us to understand the Word of God. Amen? All right. Well, when I was in college... Um, I had already started following Christ, and I was a believer, and I would attend church, and I'd try to find some, some Christian friends my freshman year to surround myself with. And, um, but, you know, a couple years into college, it came to my junior year, 2004, and there was something stirring in me. And all that I know is that all of a sudden, I started reading the Bible. I was reading it before him, but I started reading it in a different way, and it's like I got like a new pair of spectacles. You know what I'm saying? It's like literally I started seeing the same words I read, but differently. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, that reality of, well, I've read this before, but it never jumped off the page like that. Something was being cultivated in me. I would say that I was getting more and more hungry for the word of God and for what God was doing. And I remember reading across the passage that talked about fasting. Now, I'd never fasted my whole life. I had read Bible passages about people praying and fasting, I just had never done it. I just thought, that's something I did 2,000 years ago, not today, you know. But then I read it, and I realized, oh, wait a second, that's for actually today. And so I remember my junior year, I didn't have any friends who fasted, by the way. I didn't know anybody. Like, no one talked about it. You were weird if you thought about fasting, you know. And so I didn't talk about it. I just said, okay, I'm going to fast, you know. And, and it says, hey, don't let everyone know you're fasting. Just kind of fast. Put some oil in your head. I didn't have any oil, but I just kind of decided to kind of fast that day. And but I was excited, you know, and I remember around lunchtime, I was walking across West Campus, I remember vividly, and I paused, and it's like this surreal moment. I started looking around the campus, and it's like I was seeing people differently. I don't know how to describe it. It was almost like a, like a compassion was increasing on me. I just started seeing people. Now, this wasn't like some 50-day fast. This is like a one day, you know, which I was scared to do it. I'm thinking, am I going to live to see tomorrow, you know? <laughs> And you do, just so you know. Um, 
But I was fasting, and I just meant, I just felt like God's presence in a new way I hadn't felt before. And that started me on a journey of where, I, when I started reading the Bible, I just started getting more serious about it. And as I look back in that time, I think that in 2004, a turning point in my faith happened where, I may put it this way, instead of walking one-legged, I walked on two. One-legged meaning that with one leg, it was, it was my faith, but the other leg was actually supported by the church or friends or my parents' faith, but it wasn't mine. And without them, I don't think I'd really just stay the narrow road and follow him. But I realized 2004, God was inviting me into, Tyler, will you own your faith? Like, will you truly start living? Like, if nobody was around for a month, everybody went on vacation, would you still love me and honor me? Like, if no one was asking you to read through or to join a Bible study, would you still read the Bible or only do it when you're told to do so? Like, was the conviction real? And at that point in my life, I would say I was kind of on some shaky ground. But there's a turning point that happened and God started putting something in me to say, no, my faith will be my own. Now, I wanna take us back to the word of God here because I believe we're gonna journey a little bit today and look at when God started initiating with people for them to really make their faith their own, all right? So I want you to look at Genesis chapter nine. You can open up your Bibles there. And just for context, um, this is the part of, of world history and the story of the Bible where the flood had just happened, right? You remember the great flood. God created Adam and Eve. They sinned. Humanity populated the earth. And then it says that people were wicked everywhere, and God didn't see um, anyone that had a pure heart except he found this guy Noah and his family. So he said to Noah, you're going to build this huge boat called an ark, kind of in the middle of the desert. And then, by the way, trust me, because it's gonna rain, you're gonna get in that boat with a bunch of animals and birds, you're gonna collect them two by two, and I'm gonna literally wipe out the planet's humanity, and then we're gonna start over. Is that part of the Bible we don't like to talk about? But what's true is that God said, everyone is so wicked and so far gone, I've gotta start over. And so God started over with Noah, and this is what it says to him, as the flood waters subsided, and eventually they were able to exit the ark and get onto dry ground. It says that Noah actually made an altar to the Lord, took animal sacrifices and gave it to the Lord and, and worshiped and honored him, saying thank you. It says that that aroma was pleasing to God and then God came down and he spoke to Noah in Genesis chapter nine, verse seven. And you being fruitful, you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Verse eight, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. What is God saying? He's saying, Noah, I'm gonna establish a covenant with you. I established one with Adam and Eve. Now I'm reestablishing a covenant with you. And what I'm saying is, never again will I flood the earth like I just did. Never again will I wipe out all the animals and all the humanity. That is my promise, that is my covenant I'm making through you and to your descendants, right? And we know you're going back to Noah then. Noah had a few sons, right? And so we see that God is reinitiating relationship, which aren't we thankful that that's the kind of God that we know and worship, is that he's willing to treat us who are all prodigal sons and daughters in some way, shape, or form, and he's waiting there, his big papa saying, I'm ready to welcome you back into the family with open arms. 
I'm ready to forgive you and celebrate you and bring you in close to me. God is doing that once again here with Noah. And so he gives him this covenant, but Noah had three sons. It says his three sons went on three different ways, dispersed into different regions all over the world, and that is where we have the different people groups and populations today. And then 400 years passed from the time of Noah to a man called Abram, or 10 generations. And the Lord then sought out Abram, who seemed to be a faithful, trustworthy man, and he gave him a covenant in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is otherwise known as the Abrahamic covenant, God making a covenant with Abram, who eventually would become Abraham, the father of multitude, right? The father of Israel. This is the line of Judah. Jesus would come through the line of Abraham eventually one day that God was prophetically saying, Abraham, not only gonna bless you and your descendants, but I want you to know we are forward moving here. We're looking to the day where Jesus comes and he says, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, all can be saved, all can know, and all can receive the love and forgiveness of God, if yet they will come through me. So God establishes his covenant for him to be a blessing, meaning that everywhere and any people can experience God's favor. Now this invitation, though, from God to Abram um, is a bit mixed, right? Like whenever we kind of tune into God, you either are getting encouraged or getting challenged or both, right? We prefer the encouraged one. I love you. Thank you, God. And now I need you to obey me. Oh, Right, like we, we like the encouraging part. Like that's why we like the encouraging parts of the Bible. The parts that say you need to stop this or do that or repent for that. Oh man, let's go back to the love chapter, right? And so, but you have to remember, God is love, which means every single thing he says is actually for your best interest. So when he says stop doing something, he's trying to save your life, right? That's why we need to obey God. He's actually so good, he's willing to say what needs to be said, just like an ideal parent. Now, when God speaks to us, he speaks through his word, he can speak through his people, he can speak through his spirit, he can speak through all three, but when he speaks to us, there's an invitation there, and God gives an invitation to Abram. And I just wanna encourage us for a second to take the invitations from the Lord seriously. Like, don't take them flippantly. They're not the same as a friend inviting you to his birthday party. Okay, like the invitation from the Lord is not equal to a human invitation. It is the living God speaking to your heart, highlighting something in the passage, speaking through somebody else, or showing up in the middle of the night in a dream. That is God saying, I want your attention. And when God shows up and says, I want your attention, it would be best of you and best of me to listen to our God. But we have to respond with the right heart and the right faith, right? So, so God gives a promise to Noah, right? He gives this, this covenant, this promise to him, and, but it took immense faith and trust for Noah to actually act on it. I mean, think about this. He built a boat, not on the lake, you know? He built a boat, and everyone else is like, look at crazy Noah continuing to build this odd structure, 
what is this guy thinking? He had to deal with the human mockery and had to deal with the faith side of, I have no idea fully what this is gonna be like, but I'm trusting God. He had to have faith and trust. And then to endure the rains and the flood season and eventually get to the dry ground. What about Abram? God made a promise to him. Um, this was a challenging covenant because one, he said, your descendants. He didn't have any kids. He got this promise and he was like, you could have, Abram could have said, hey God, remember, we don't have any children. Remember my wife, Sarah, that I married? She's barren. She's not able to have children. So he could have said, are you sure you got the right Abram? There might have been another one, like down the street, another guy, you know? God doesn't miss, just you know. When he calls you out, it's for a purpose. You may not, you may be like, who, me? You know? That, that usually means that it is you. When you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know, he's coming for me. And so there's the Lord, right? He's coming for Abram. And he says, yes, you have to trust me. He had to trust. It required faith and trust in God for Abram to move forward. But why was this difficult also for Abram? Because you know what God was asking him to do? The encouraging thing is you'll be blessed and the nations will be blessed. You'll meet descendants. Man, that's like so encouraging. The challenging thing is, by the way, you're gonna have to leave everything that's familiar and comfortable. You have to leave your actual nation, your actual family and country and go to another place you've never been before and trust me. That's hard. Like, to say, I'm gonna give up everything that I've built, that I've experienced, and say, I'm going over here. And people are like, why are you moving? Because God's told me that this is where we're going. And everyone else thinks you're crazy, right? But this is the journey that God takes us as people on, as individuals on. And this is where he's taking us as a church right now. Which is why that we titled this whole initiative, Own It, because we as a people, we really do have to own our own pursuit of Jesus. Like, we have to own it. You cannot rely upon other people. You have to be steadfast. It doesn't mean, don't hear me say that we're not gonna, that we're gonna go off and do individual things. Collectively, we are always better together than we are apart. But there's something that each person brings to the table, and if you don't believe or feel like you have value or worth to contribute to the body of Christ, there's a place that God needs to minister to, and you need to get in the word and realize, wait, you have immense value. And there's immense purpose on your life. So let's talk about this. How are we gonna own our journey, right? How are you gonna own your pursuit of Jesus? I wanna give you three things today, all right? The first one is this. You're gonna own your pursuit of Jesus by trusting him, by trusting him. Proverbs 3, five through six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You see, if we distrust Jesus or leave room in our hearts and minds to question him and his nature and his goodness, then we will give in to doubts inevitably. We will give in to fear. We'll give in to self-reliance because if you don't trust someone, you say, I got this. If you don't trust someone to do a job or to remember something, you will take that back and say, well, then I'll do it. That's not how it works with God. It, it works with you surrendering to him. And that's hard, because then you actually have to have faith and say, it doesn't look real good right now, but I'm trusting God. That's what he's called us to. And if we will acknowledge our need for him, right, like our need for his holiness and his grace and forgiveness in our lives, if we'll start from the place of saying, I will put my trust in the Lord, then guess what, the natural next step is that we are then able to move 
and listen to him and obey what he has to say when he does speak, which is where we are right now as a church. But sometimes it's hard for us to move if we don't know where we're going, right? Like, if you don't have the end in mind, it's hard for people to get on board with something. It's hard for us to move if we don't know how this is gonna end. And a lot of times, following God, you don't know how it's all gonna end. But thankfully, if you read the Bible, in Revelation chapter 21, it actually tells us how this whole thing's gonna end. Right, you ready? You wanna know how it all ends? I'm about to tell you, all right? Here you go, Revelation 21, verse one through five. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's how it's going to end. It's a glorious end. Now listen, I like cutting my grass. But it's not going to be the new heaven, new earth grass. I like driving my truck, but I can't take that with me to heaven. Everything that we do in this life, it actually all matters, but it's not about the things and possessions and the stuff that we accumulate. Someone put it, put it to me like this years ago. They said, there's actually one currency in heaven. It's the souls of men and women. It's the investment of people. And so what you do, though, in your job absolutely matters because it affects people. What you do in your parenting absolutely matters because it affects people. What you do coaching the little t-ball team, you better believe it matters because you're affecting the little hearts of young boys. What you do coaching that girls' volleyball team, you're affecting young ladies' hearts because your investment, everything that you do and touch, whether you're preparing your home for a party or you're working a job or you're running for office and you're in politics or you're scrubbing the floors or you're praying, all of it matters when we keep the end in mind. Because what we say is we are working towards honoring our God with everything that we touch, see, and smell, and think about. And I want my main filter in my life to be the word of God, right? I want the word of God to actually filter decisions about money, relationships, nutrition, health, the environment, pets, and so on. I want the word of God to filter my decision-making. But you can't filter your decision-making through the word of God if you don't know the word of God. And you'll never get to know the word of God if you don't actually trust what God has to say is actually true. He's inviting us in to trust him. And we have to start with a deep conviction that Jesus is who he really says he is. Right? I mean, that's where it all starts, guys. It starts with you believing Jesus was not just a prophet or a nice guy who lived 2,000 years ago. You believe that he's the son of God. He's the only savior of the world. And then when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes through me, I mean, nobody, nobody comes to follow except through me, when you believe that, all of a sudden it just narrows it in. He's it. He's the only solution for humanity. 
He's the only solution for the chaos we experience in our world. And I'm telling you, God is proving himself to be true around the world. He is the solution. Jesus is. Amidst war-torn areas or chaos or other things, guess what? People who are angry or centuries of hostilities, guess what? Jesus gets inserted in the equation, all of a sudden peace comes. Jesus is the peacemaker. That's what he's coming to do in people's hearts. So can you trust him today? It's a question you gotta answer. The second part of this piece is to own your pursuit of Jesus by following him. By following him. It's not just trusting him. You, you gotta go there. That's, that's like the conviction level. Do I really believe? Am I convicted that he's actually worth following, that he's, that he's trustworthy? The second piece is, can I follow him? This is kind of more of a commitment question. Because if you decided to trust Jesus and believe that he's real and what he said is true, then the next step is to actually follow him, right? In Matthew chapter four, verse 18 through 20, it says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So here's the invitation, right? So stop what I'm doing and do what he's doing. Like, that's what he's asking of the disciples. Hey, I'm not saying what you're doing is bad. What I'm saying, though, is that what I'm about to do is better. Right? It's like the good, better, best. You can stay in the good. That's fine. I want to move to best. And best is whatever he's doing and wherever he is moving. But I want to encourage us. The disciples didn't learn everything in a day. Right? Like, they had to commit to follow him. And if you trek through the Gospels of the journey of the disciples of how they really pursued Jesus, it was a journey. He started them out like baby steps, you know? He did everything, and they just watched. And then eventually he said, hey, you guys try some stuff. Then they failed, and he said, okay, let's try again. Let's talk about that. And then they succeeded some, and they failed some, and he journeyed with them. Like, that's the life of a disciple, right? That's what he's calling us into, but, you know, you're going to have a fork in the road moment in your life for many of them, right? This is a fork in the road moment for Peter, for sure. And um, I had one of these when I was graduating college in Texas A&M. I got a construction science degree and was excited about that. And when I was graduating, I had the opportunity to take different jobs. Um, I'd just gotten engaged. And we were getting married soon after I graduated. And so Ashley and I are talking about what are we going to do? And I had opportunities to go to Iraq to work there at the time. We were rebuilding that country. America was and helping with that. I could have made... Three times the income, and it was all tax-free. I could have gone to China, to Beijing. There were chances to go work on skyscrapers and construction there. Kind of cool going to China. Um, I had the chance to go to Houston, a working family business, to go to Austin, a working family business. I had all these ideas that actually made a lot of logical, practical, financial sense. And none of them were bad. But none of them were being spearheaded by the Lord. There were great doors open to me. Just because the door is open doesn't mean you go through it. You say, God, I'm supposed to go to that door? It sounds good. Everybody else in my life says, that's a great door. Why are you not going to that door? But I'm telling you, Ash and I, we prayed, and we said, where's the door, God? Where are we going? Waco, Texas. Waco, this is pre-Chip and Joanna Gaines, okay? <laughs> Waco was not cool, all right? God loves Waco, but it wasn't cool. I know none of you were going to Waco to hang out. I know that. You didn't do that. You've gone now. Okay, but before then, it wasn't cool. There were not very many jobs. It was a, a really broken city in many ways. It was, it was hard. And so we said, well, we're gonna move to Waco. Why? Because there's a church there called Antioch 
that my wife had experienced in college going to Baylor and said, God is moving here. And we said, we're gonna go where God is moving. We don't know where to go next. We're just gonna go because we're hungry for more of God. So we moved there into a little apartment or a little duplex in Robinson, Texas. We couldn't afford Waco. We could afford Robinson. Lived in a little duplex, shared a wall, and it smelled like cat pee. You know, like that was our back from the honeymoon. Here's your house, you know. And that's what we did. No one knew us. Our first hangout with people was me, my wife, and four ladies eating dinner. I was like, what have I done? I mean, this is not what I signed up for. You know, I'm like, this, I didn't know a guy in a town. It was crazy. But we said, but God's moving here. We're gonna go, Lord. I didn't have to be all squeaky clean. You don't have to set me up, God, with all these perks. Because when you say yes to him, you're saying yes to that journey. And you know, he has to humble you in that journey. He dealt with a lot of my pride in that journey, right? But that's, he knew that. He knew that. But I trusted him. I already made a decision to trust him before I went. I trust you, God, no matter what happens. We went, and God was faithful as we continued to follow him. So if you got that fork in the road, <laughs> it has big implications. But you need to decide, will you choose Jesus above and beyond? You know, Jesus said an interesting thing to his disciples in John chapter 14. It's a very short phrase, but a very difficult phrase to actually do. He said, if you love me, you will keep or obey my commandments. Man, I love God. You know, can't you hear right now? These guys, Jesus, man, we love you. We're your bros. Man, Jesus, you know. Hey, that's great, Peter. If you love me, obey me. What? You know, I mean, can you imagine? Well, that's how we are. Man, I love you, God. <laughs> I love you. Great. Start reading this and do it. Hold on. Let's go back to the worship set. I love you, God. Like, you know, like, we all like that part, right? It's like, man, I love playing football. Two days? I just, I like playing the games. I'm more of like a game guy, you know? Right? I mean, but that's how we think sometimes. But the process is necessary. So it's not just about trusting him. It's not just about following him. But we've actually got to know him. We've got to know him. Own your pursuit of Jesus by knowing him. This is kind of more of a process. So what's the best way for someone to get to know Jesus, right? By knowing what he said, knowing the stories throughout history, um, knowing his character, studying his nature, right? This is how you really get to know Jesus. You're really going to pursue Jesus. You've got to get to know him. But this is not news today, right? Like, it's not news that the best way to get to know Jesus is actually by reading the Bible and reading about Jesus and who he is, right? Like, that's not news to us. And in fact, in 2017, LifeWay Research, they did a whole survey across the country trying to understand people's perspective and, and concepts regarding the Bible. And one of the results that came out of that was that they found that 87% of people said, who surveyed said they have a Bible, like they have a physical Bible. So we don't really have a Bible distribution problem in our country, right? Like the Bible's actually available like across the country. So it's not like, oh, people don't have a Bible. They have a Bible. They don't have a Bible. They have a phone that has internet that has the Bible. The Bible is everywhere, which is amazing. And let's remember, it wasn't always like that. The Bible is available in every language. And if you can't read good, that's okay. It's an audio form. It's available. The availability thing is a non-issue now, okay? So it's available. But then 53% of people have read little or none of the Bible surveyed. They have one. They just never read it or lifted it up. But here's the most shocking one, right? 36% of Protestants or evangelicals said they read a little bit each day. So one side, hey, man, one-third of churchgoers say, man, 
I read a little bit of the Bible each day, whether it's a verse or a whole chapter, whatever. But then two-thirds are saying, I don't do that, right? So I thought to myself, why do people not read the Bible? I read the Bible, um, but why do people not read it? And this is an age-old question, and just so you know, our society is on the decline. It's not like Bible reading is going up. Bible readership is going down, which is why I would say we have a biblical illiteracy problem, not just in our country, but in the church. So why don't people read the Bible? Well, let me give you this, this, this illustration. All right. We've all been in the dentist, right? You've been in the dentist. When you get ready to go to the dentist, you get a little, you get a little nervous, right? Because you know what question's coming, right? You lay down, you lean back, the bright light, and they do the, you know, the lady does a little brushing of the teeth, and then the dentist comes in. And you know they're gonna ask that question, have you been flossing? <laughs> right? But you know they already know the answer. They already know you haven't been flossing. That's why they're asking it. But they're nice, you know. Have you been flossing? And I kid you not, when I was younger, I used to lie. I'd be like, yes, ma'am. All the time. And she's like, you are lying through your teeth. Literally, you're lying through your teeth. And so, okay, so we all feel the, like, interrogation realm, right? Bright light, a lean back. Have you been flossing? Right? Okay. So we know it's coming, but I did a little research. It says that 30% of Americans floss daily. Do people not have access to floss? Is it too expensive? Is it, do you have to be skilled in how to floss? Is flossing overwhelming? Is it too much to think about? No. Why don't we floss? I'm about to tell you. What if your dentist said, have you been flossing? And I say, no, I haven't. She said, well, you know what? And 30 days from now, all of your teeth will fall out on the 30th day if you don't floss every day till then. Do you think I would walk away from that and be like, flossing? Huh. Or do you think I would be in my truck driving, flossing? You know, I mean, just, <laughs> you better believe I'd go buy a bunch of floss, all kinds of floss. I would set timers, put sticky notes, reminders. I would have Alexa tell me when it's time to floss, okay? I would do all of that stuff why? Because I see the intrinsic value of the flossing. And if she said, you're going to lose all your teeth, so you want to be drinking smoothies the rest of your life? You want to keep eating food? I would like to keep eating food, not just drink smoothies. So then start flossing. Okay, that's going to totally alter your whole lifestyle, everything about you. Wow. What if you actually thought, if I don't read the Bible, I'm literally going to deteriorate? My body is going to waste away along with my spirit. What if I start saying, if I don't, I mean, you know what Joshua said, Joshua 1, like he, he said, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. When I was in eighth grade, my youth leader, to get this point across me, he did this. We're talking, he said, hey guys, this is Joshua 1. We're like, what is he doing? He's like, you need to eat this stuff. You need to get this in your system. This should be sustenance. This is this is better than three meals a day. This right here. Guys, I, I think there's all sorts of reasons why people say they won't read the Bible. The number one reason they don't have a value for it. If you don't actually believe it matters, or believe it's gonna change, or believe it's relevant, or believe it's actually the word of God, you think some guys who had scruffy beards wrote it a long time ago, whatever your thing is, you don't believe the word of God, you're not gonna read it. Just like if you don't believe exercise is actually gonna help you in your body, you don't, you're not like 
on the, on the moment of death's doorstep, you won't exercise. But do you go in and the doctors say, you don't exercise the next six months, you're gonna drop dead, you'll probably start walking and changing what you eat, am I right? Because you have a value for it. Because you understand that life and death is here. This is the word of God. If we're gonna own our pursuit of Jesus, it starts with everyone in this room removing the excuses of why we don't and to start saying, no, this is why we do. That is what God is calling us to as a people. And I'm telling you, we cannot move forward on this initiative or as a church if we will not all step up to the plate and they say, I will now own, it is my responsibility to read the Bible. You don't know where to start? Go buy that book, 30 days of, 30 days, or whatever it is. Read the Bible in 30 days. Like, okay, an introduction to the Bible. I don't care. You don't have vision for it? You don't have a Bible? We will buy you a Bible. Antioch, we'll buy you a awesome Bible. We will buy you a Bible. We'll do whatever it takes. But I'm telling you, this is on you. Not on me. It's not on mom. It's not on another pastor. It's not on your life group leader. It is on you. If you are gonna move from one-legged to two-legged Christianity, you gotta start reading this stuff for yourself. The last scripture, or a couple of last scriptures I wanna read here. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If you think, hey, the Bible, I don't know, it's just this old book. Let me tell you what the Bible says about itself. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, or woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Don't you wanna be equipped for every good work? Oh my gosh, how much did that change things? Oh, I feel insecure. Not anymore, because I have the word of God in me. I know who I am. I'm a son or daughter of the king. I'm, I'm washed, I'm cleansed in righteousness. I'm free, I'm forgiven. I'm not walking as a slave anymore, an orphan. I'm mighty, I'm a conqueror. I got my Ephesians 6 armor on. Bring it on. Don't you want to be that kind of Christian? Instead of, oh, everyone's getting on to me. No, you want to be Noah saying, God told me to build this boat in the middle of the desert. Keep laughing. I'm gonna keep building. But if you don't have that level of trust in him, if you're not willing to follow him, and if you ain't willing to get to know him, you will drop the hammer at the first sign of someone threatening you and run away scared. That is not how he's called us to. When he said drop your nets and follow me, he meant this is gonna cost you life. And I'm telling you guys, owning your pursuit of Jesus means that you pick up your cross and you follow him. And you say, Lord, not my will, but your will. I'm gonna embrace your will now. I wanna bring the band up as we close this morning. Let's go and stand as we end here. And our life group leaders, make your way up here, if you would, please. And section leaders for our prayer team. The last verse I wanna read to us is, maybe it sums all this up. <laughs> like, why, why go through having the conviction that I can really trust God? Why, why go through that I can really, that I should follow him, be committed to following him, or, or why get to the point to where, hey, really need to know him? Like, what does all this summarize up into? Like, what's the end goal, right? Like, what's the end goal of me pursuing Jesus? Where is that taking me? I believe it says it beautifully in John chapter 15, verse four and five. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So why does it matter that you own your pursuit of Jesus so that you can abide in him? So that you can, you know what that word abiding means? It means to stay, to remain. 
When you're driving a car and there's a passenger next to you, I don't think you forget that they're in the car. They're right there in your periphery. Their, their presence is noticeable. They are with you. Why does this matter? Because if you will go on this journey, I guarantee you, you will sense his closeness and his nearness to you in not just a few areas of life, but all of life. Parenting, your job, sleeping, exercise, praying, worshiping, coaching, hanging out, education. You'll all of a sudden say, man, Jesus is with me all the time, not just some of the time. But you know, he says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. So what he's saying is, you gotta get hungry. You gotta get hungry. If you're not hungry, that's fine. He's not gonna force feed you. You gotta get hungry though. You want more of him, you gotta get hungry for him. And so Lord, I just pray right now to my, fr my friends and just ask Lord this morning that we'd get hungry. <laughs> Whether we need encouragement and prayer just to trust him. Maybe that's where some of you guys are. You just need someone up here in the prayer room to pray for you to say, hey, let me just encourage you. You can trust him. He's trustworthy. He's good. He's a good, good father. Maybe some of you this morning just need courage to follow him. It takes a lot of courage to drop your nets and to follow Jesus. <laughs> or maybe some just need a fresh vision for knowing him, fresh vision for his word and getting this in you to make this part of your daily life. I don't know where you are, but the Lord wants to encourage you today. He wants to draw you close. He wants to say, come on, there's an invitation. If you're hungry, I will feed you. You need help, I will help you. You need strength, I will strengthen you. This is the Lord. This is why all of this makes sense because he's drawing us into his family. He's saying, I love you and I want more of you. And so if you're here this morning, anything you need, just come on up and let these guys pray for you. Encouragement, whatever. And allow God to minister to your heart. So Jesus, we welcome you in this place. We say, come and minister to us as a people. In Jesus' name, amen.